If you resign, it means you quit. And you left. You didn't, you didn't just leave for the day, you left. If you resign yourself to having to go to work at four in the morning, then you're going to go to work at four in the morning. See how resign works? And uh, you can't resign from the Army. Tell them I quit. But, mm. <laughs> Shooting somebody. There, that's it. You quit. Anybody else want to quit? See? It just stops right there. So, you can go absent without leave. AWOL. You can go AWOL, but you still are part of the military unit that you belonged to before. You're just absent without leave. So they acknowledge you're gone, but they do not acknowledge you're not there. So every roll call, you'll be there when you get there. So the great thing about what God is doing is he's talking to us, and we are listening like never before. So... And uh, we need a Bible study on Haggai, or you're going to be in this book until next year, about June. <laughs> so, this is a long two chapters. Because the great thing about the Word of God is that God will say something that has to do with everything you should know. Yes? So, you read what uh, Stephen said. These guys are confronting him, and he is confronting the religious leaders of his day. Let let me go over there real quick with you to the book of Acts. Because it is in the book of Acts. And uh, I know that the Spirit of God knows how to bring us to a place that he picks up the sense of what he wants done and he brings it to pass. Am I right? So, what was I headed to? Okay, yeah, oh, it's Stephen. Thank you. Okay, <clears throat> so they're, they're, they've got a tribunal going. And this is what it says. Then said the high priest, are these things so? And he said, men, brethren, and fathers, Okay, let me go back a little bit so you can see what the false witnesses were saying. First, okay, <clears throat> verse ten it said, and there were, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Stephen, yeah. Then the stubborn men which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Isn't that interesting? They lied using Moses' name. And Moses brought down the Ten Commandments and said, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Okay? And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him, caught him, and brought him to the council. That was the easy part. And set up false witnesses which said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place, this holy place, and the law. 
For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. That's quitting time. That's where you leave, yeah? <clears throat> his face looks like an angel. Better to stop right where you're at. Now listen. And love this because this is the way God starts his answer to these things. Because he's talking about the temple. Yes, we're talking about the temple. Right. Right. Haggai's talking about the temple. We're getting ready to get into this. Now, then said the high priest, are these things so? And he said, man, brethren and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharan. So, if you were stopped by a policeman, and somebody said that you were weaving on the road and ran somebody off on a bicycle, and the policeman said, is that the same thing, is this true? And you said, well, my great-grandfather homesteaded in Nebraska. <laughs> so there. Am I right? And and these people set through this thing. He starts with Abraham in Mesopotamia. That's a long, long way back. And what has that got to do with you talking about our temple now? He said, I'll get to that. Relax. And it took him a long... Well, if you know what, if you're you're doing your last sermon, and you know it's your last sermon... Spread the thing out. She last a month. And it almost did. But the reality of this, you guys, is, is here's the truth of the matter. When you're talking about the things that God has established, you can't talk about now without a background that reminds people what it is that you're talking about. Somebody asked me about a couple of questions in Matthew 24 years and years ago. I think we did eight. VCR tapes on Matthew 24. So they said, okay, it's sort of like eating at an all-you-can-eat place, and you were really hungry when you got there, and you ate real fast. And how many have ever done that? And then you realized, ooh, I should have stopped two pizzas ago. So, but God's Word is like that. And that's what's the precious thing about what God is doing, you guys. I want to start in Mesopotamia because we're talking about the temple of God and those people were fighting about Jesus saying that he was going to come and tear their temple down. So it's like a bunch of people coming here and saying, hey, we're going to tear your church down. And that's how they felt. Wow, you're against us. You hate us. You hate our church. But, but the truth was, that wasn't what Jesus was saying. He said, tear this temple down. He wasn't talking about their building. He's talking about him. He was the temple. And he wanted them to understand, I am the temple of God. God dwells in me. But you know what? I'm going to birth a nation. And every one of the people in that new nation is going to be part of that temple as well. So you and I have God dwelling in us. Am I right? We understand that. When you accept Christ as your Savior, He came to dwell in you. So there's a precious thing. 
because he brought his brain with him. Yes. He brought his thought process with him. So, Paul said, there's two of me. So, there's the old man and there's the new man. If I feed the old man, he wins every battle. If I starve him and feed the new man, the new man begins to win the battle. Depends on who you feed the most. If we feed our flesh, the flesh will win our battles. The flesh way. Yeah, it means to And if we feed the spirit man, the spirit man wins our battles. And that's what you and I want. We want the spirit of God to win the battles because we want God to do it His way. He wants to bring us to a place that we could never figure out. Your mind cannot figure out where you're at. It just can't. There are some places you're going to be brought to in the middle of trial and you will forget where you were, and you won't be paying attention to what was going on, and you'll suddenly realize, well, I don't recognize anything at all where I'm at. We need the Spirit and presence of God to get us from there, through there, and headed in the direction He wants us to go. So I want to go to Haggai, chapter 2. Zero, I used to call it Zerapple, but it's Zerubbable. And I, it's hard for me to wrap my bubble bubbles around <laughs> that particular name. Zerubbabel. Now, he, he was in the lineage of the king, right? And he was the governor here. And so I would have called him Sir Zerubbabel. Many bubbles as he wanted, I would throw in the thing. But actually, I'm smart enough to have him talk to me first. And, they, and then he would tell me his name. So what's your name again? Right. Bubble. Okay. So, but he is in the lineage of the kings. But here, God's bringing back the exiles. And what's precious, you guys, is they're not called a king. God's done with the kings. There is a king coming. But it's not from this end of the lineage. It's from the beginning of the lineage that started before the foundations of the world. So we're marching towards the coronation day. And the spirit and presence of God is just giving us insight to the things that are going on. And the reason we're learning from this old prophet is because the Bible said that these things are written down for our admonition on whom the ends of the world will come. So if I learn from their mistakes, I do not have to learn them myself. So you can, you can learn things the hard way or you can learn it the easy way. So how many of you have got a, a gas gauge in your car? Four of you. Okay. <laughs> it will be a little thing or maybe a big thing but we'll have a little line on it and you'll have an E on one side which stands for effort and an F on the other side okay and the reason I say it stands for effort is because if you reach there you're going to have to walk and that's way more effort than it is to drive gas gauge the precious thing about a gas gauge is that it's there. And if you are a long ways from nowhere and you look down and it's telling you your tank is a fourth full and you know that you're at least 40 miles from the next town, you begin to think about what? Coasting. <laughs> yeah, some people do think about coasting. Yeah. So... The thing that God is saying to us is we have 
temperature gauges on our ovens. How many like your temperature gauge on your oven? Sure. But they tell you something, right? They tell you something. It's no good to have it tell you that if you do not pay attention to what it said. So it is with these things that we're reading. The Word of God is, is honestly a fuel gauge for you to tell how you are doing about your fuel. I right said, David, wait on the Lord, renew their strength. You need strength to get through life. And to get that strength, I can tell you a hundred different things. I could tell you, well, we're going to have a strength-driven year. 2018, the year of the strength-driven church. And then we could paint slogans and, and learn those slogans and say the slogans. And that would be a great thing. Or we can say, you know, actually to get strength is as simple as spending time with the Lord. They that wait on the Lord, renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. Not only do you have strength, but you have the ability to get above the trouble. Prayer takes you above the trouble. So, what we've done with the church is we've domesticated it. Yes, we've domesticated the church. How many of you have ever seen domesticated turkeys flying across the highway? Yeah, no, because domesticated turkeys don't fly. Domesticated turkeys ride in trucks. <laughs> yes, they do. We were in Arkansas, and Rachel said, what is that? Is it snow? I said, no. It's feathers. She said, what is that? <laughs> she dismissed my, I'm like Siri when it comes to things like this. It's like, Siri, what is that? <laughs> feathers. She said, no, what is it? I said, <laughs> now, don't you feel superior at a point like that? It's like, feathers. Then you know you're going to get to explain, explain stuff. I said, see, up in front of us there's a truck. And it has those little holes on the side. And feathers are blowing out the little holes because the wind is whipping the little feathers off the turkeys. Yeah, I had to catch the truck. It was feathers. Domestic turkeys don't fly. Wild turkeys fly. And that's because nobody ever told wild turkeys all we want from you is big thighs, legs, and breast. All we want. We just want you to get fat because on Thanksgiving, we're going to cook you. If you were a smart turkey, you wouldn't eat. You wouldn't eat. You'd go, hmm. All this free food and I don't even get to move. What's the deal? I'm going to be so plump. Mm. Chickens. There are wild chickens. There are prairie chickens. And they can fly. Domesticated chickens don't fly. Christians have been domesticated because we've been told we don't fly. You don't fly. Because you need me. Because I'm going to build a great big building out here on our parking lot. Forget the parking lot. I'm just going to build a great big building out here, and you're going to pay for it. That's the good news, bad news thing, yeah? So now you can't fly because I need you, and so I've got to domesticate you so that you're here 12 years from now 
when I'm still paying on my mortgage. So I can't tell you, you can fly. You can fly. In Isaiah, he said, they that wait on the Lord renew their strength. You want to, if you're going to fly, you want to renew your strength first. They shall mount up with wings. And he did not say parakeets. And I love little parakeets. He didn't say you'll mount up with the wings of a monarch. And a monarch butterfly, when it flies over here, it goes clear across Mexico and into Central America. And when you see that little butterfly, you're thinking, you know what happens in wind currents at 5,000 feet? They can be a lot different than the wind currents down here on the ground. A lot different. At 10,000 feet, there's even way more currents. And besides that, there are all kinds of predators that eat butterflies. Everything loves butter. <laughs> What's better than an insect? <laughs> okay, never mind. Make it all the way there. He said, you mount up with wings as eagles. Eagles have serious wings because they fly in serious high places. At Estes Park, you're at 7,000 feet on the ground. And the mountains go up to 14,000 feet. And around Long's Peak or Meeker Mountain, you, you see these eagles flying and circling and moving with the wind. And I mean moving with serious wind. Small airplanes are advised not to fly closer than 2,500 feet around the peak of a mountain because there are downdrafts that, that an airplane can't, a small airplane can't overcome. Serious downdrafts that a small airplane cannot overcome. And you see these eagles flying up there and the wings are doing things like this. Have you ever been in an airplane that did that? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. But the thing about the wings of an eagle is that they are seriously attached to that eagle. And there's power in their wings. An eagle can beat you senseless. I had a cousin that a female eagle thought he was too close to her nest and he was out riding a horse on an early morning all by himself. And when he got to the house, he had wounds so deep in his arm that they had to take him by ambulance to the hospital. He was beaten around the head and shoulders. He looked like he had run into a gang of thugs. And the female eagle wasn't finished yet. He just rode out from underneath her. Wow. Eagles. So, God said you'll mount up with wings as eagles and you'll run and not be weary. And you'll walk and you won't faint. So, if he tells you you're going to run and not be weary, you're going to run how long? Twelve steps, fifteen steps for me. The frivolity has to have only a limited amount of supply. But he's telling you something, isn't he? You're going to run. And you won't be weary. And you guys, I've had some times I was glad I could run and not be weary. I was chased by somebody through a field. And I knew I had to outrun him in the dark. I had to outrun him. And I did. And I was about in fifth grade. And my older brother said, man. I didn't know you could run like that. I'm thinking, I didn't know I could run like that either. He said, you should have seen your breath. It was like, Because it was cold when I ran. And you're wondering, how did my brother not need to run? He was hiding in a barn. 
He should have went out and said, oh, sir. See, he could have thrown him off. Ran the other way. You watch me run. This is mesmerized by my personal best speed. So you're going to run, but you're not going to be weary. And there'll be some times you're going to be glad of that. You're going to run through some things in life that, that you're going to need to be able to run. And then you're going to walk. If you're going to walk long enough, you're going to think, I feel like I'm going to, I'm faint, like I could just fall down. No. He said, you'll walk and not faint. So, so those kinds of foundational things are important. But here's, here's what I understand and what you understand. My gas gauge tells me something very important. If I do not pay attention to it, my car will stop running. And I will be going nowhere. And it's a terrible inconvenience unless you carry a gas can in the back. And if you carry a gas can in the back, you've ran out before. You need to watch your gas gauge. Simple thing, yeah? And if you burn the, the cake, maybe you need to watch the temperature in your oven. Because there are, there are things your oven will tell you. And sometimes you have to buy a thermometer put inside your oven to see if it's telling the truth, yeah? You want a verification. And especially if you're supposed to leave it in there for 40 minutes or 25 minutes, it's going to look like it is a, yeah, it's going to be a sacrifice to God to burn off. Like it's like, I think I need to take that out of the oven. But what you want then is to have, you want, you want to have your reference down right. So, you guys, here's what we're doing. You and I are having communion. And uh, the church world thinks communion would involve a cracker. And, uh, and juice. But communion comes from the word to communicate. Communicate. How does God communicate with me? He communicates me with His Bible. And everybody who takes physical communion, when they pass it out, you, they read you scriptures that you have to judge yourself before you eat it. And you have to judge yourself by it. Am I right? You use it to judge yourself. So, I don't know about you, but I don't know how you would judge yourself by a cracker. And that's what the Bible, and, and pastors everywhere read that, that you have, to, you have to examine yourself by it. Examine yourself by this. So it's like, okay, <clears throat> I'll just take it instead. But you know what? If the Bible's telling me something, I really need to pay attention because it's, it's like a gas gauge. And it's got little teeny tiny lines on it. And I want to watch those little teeny tiny lines because they give me a forewarning about things that are going on. Same thing. Everything in our house that gives us information. It's imperative that we watch those things that give us information, utilize the information, and interpret it. Am I right? Right. So a clock is, a, is an instrument. And there are people that look at the clock. And they estimate it's... it's 16 minutes till 12, and I have to be there at 12. But it's only in Lawrence. I think I've got time for a shower. <laughs> interpretation. The interpretation of what you're getting and what you're thinking. So this is, this is what I tell my children. Here's the, here's the bill. If you have to be there at 12, and it's 25 minutes away. You need to leave here 35 minutes before. Because you can't arrive when, when you're supposed to be there. You can't leave when you're supposed to be there and arrive at the same time. Unless 
Never mind. <laughs> so what you want is to, is to take your information and decipher what it is that it tells you and then make your plans according to what you have to do in order to make it work that you're there at that particular time. I'm preaching to the choir. You're all thinking, so, Brother Ricely, I love this clock story. I once knew you to be on time. Evidently, I figured it out before I got there, yes? So, I'm without excuse. But you understand what I'm saying is that it takes having the instrument that gives you the information, and then it takes you paying attention to it, and then you making a decision how it affects you in order to fulfill what it's asking you to do. Yeah? So if it's asking you to fly, in some circumstances, you're going to need to fly. If it, the Bible's telling you, you're going to need to be able to fly. You're going to want to remember how it is you fly. They that wait on the Lord renew their strengths. They shall mount up. It isn't that you have to learn to fly. It just is that when something's coming at you, you'll think, I'm out of here, and you just feel like jumping up. That's the way it works. You think that I'm adding to this. I'm not. And that's the way the Spirit and presence of God does us. He knows how to get you in a place that you don't have to concentrate about, okay, I've got to learn to fly. No, he didn't say, and thou shalt surely learn to fly. Thou shalt surely learn to land. But the great thing about flying is you will have to land, right? So it's amazing how God teaches us these things. So here's what you and I want. I want to take this information when God gives it to me in this communion that we're having with Him, because He's talking to us this morning about these things from a prophet long, long ago. 2,500 years ago. <clears throat> and He's written something as important, and we were talking about it last week, about building the temple. These people were building their own homes, doing their own stuff, but they weren't building in the temple of God. You and I constitute the temple of God. For me to build in the temple of God, it means that I have to be aware of you and how we fit together and how we work together and what it is that I can contribute to you to help you keep coming along. So that should you stop running, and I recognize that you can no longer run, I can wait for you. I've waited for people. I, I was uh, at a wedding not long ago, and an elderly man is walking quite a ways up a steep hill, and so I just started talking to him. And we stopped to talk, and we stopped to talk, and we stopped to talk. Because I realized that he was going to, he wanted me to go on. He said, you, you can just go on. And what he was saying is, I'm going to take so long going up here, I'm going to be embarrassed that it takes me this long to get to the place where we're headed. So I, I thought, oh, there we go. We'll talk. So... But the thing about what the Spirit and Presence of God says is, if you are in a difficulty, then I want to be able to, to read what's going on by the Spirit of God and to contribute to you the success that you might need in order to get to where you're going. That's what God wants you and I to do. He wants the Spirit of God to do that. Sometimes it's better to, to leave you and say, look, you make decisions, I'm coming back. Or you, you need to make some decisions. Because if somebody's just struggling about traveling, I don't really want to travel, and you can work with them, work with them, work with them, and there's still something, well, I don't really want to go. I just, and you keep coming back to the same friend. It's like, well, you know, I'm not sure I really want to do this. If a person doesn't want to do it, you have to leave them until they decide they want to do it. Because you, you can't drag somebody along. Jesus didn't make the rich young ruler following. 
He just told me what it was that would be the success. He gave him the gauge. He gave him the information. And then he left him to make his own decision, yes? Give all that you have away. Wow, you guys, that's a staggering thought. This, this very wealthy young man comes to Jesus and he's well situated and he's got finances. And, and he said, what must I do to have eternal life? He's talking eternal life a billion years from today. This man hasn't even started in eternity yet. And he's been 2,000 years dead. My, my prayer is he was the thief on the cross. My prayer is that some way he, he got into some thing that he, that he found Jesus again before this is all done. Because his question was, was serious. He said, I seriously want to know, how do I have eternal life? Eternal life. I would trade my, my palace for my, my life forever? You guys, that, that sounds like we wouldn't, but you know what? I, I've seen the sense of wanting to hold on to a trailer house. God wanted to move me out of a trailer house in Denver, Colorado. I love my little trailer house. I didn't want to move out. It was new. The carpet still smelled new. Paid $69 a month on the, on the trailer payment. It's almost nothing. $15 a month on the lot. The only problem was the dinosaurs. I hated the dinosaurs. But for $15 a month, I was willing to stay there. $15 a month. And I told God, God, because I felt like I was in the jail ministry and I saw these things unwinding. I could see how the, the gas gauge was going full. God was telling me, we're going to do something more. Like, okay, that's good. I'm probably not going to do it here because my finances have gone to eat. <laughs> right? So he was filling me up with the Spirit and, and my finances went to eat. So I kept reminding him, I'm operating on E here. I said, no, you're not. I, I own everything. Okay, share Honestly, somebody came to me and said, I, I need to, I want to see your wallet. I dug my wallet out because, you know, when you got nothing in your wallet, you'll give it to anybody. <laughs> and, he, and he went like this, Jesus, we break the curse off of this poverty. Now I'm praying, Jesus, break the curse off this poverty. But I could feel the wrapping of God's love around me. And, and you know, you all heard my testimony. I, I, I had, God told me then, I, I bought two big bags, one of beans, one of rice. God told me to take a family in. I took a family in. But I was thinking, I, I was working in the drum ministry, and he, he didn't have finances, and so I was going to feed him. And his wife was a little girl. And her name was Blossom Hosanna. Seventies. Who wouldn't feed Blossom Hosanna? But I worried about my supply. And you guys, that's what God was teaching me is, you know what? You're watching your bean bag go empty. But God wanted me to do that. You know why He wanted me to do that? Because when I got to Africa, I could tell that testimony to people who had a bean bag in their house and they watched it dwindle down until there was almost nothing. And they felt like they were going to be without. Just like I felt like I was going to be without. And to hear that an American, surely Americans don't go through the same thing we go through. Oh, yes. We do. 
Because God knew how to lead an American through all of that stuff so that he could have an idea of what these people were going through in Africa. Right. And you guys, that's what the Spirit and presence of God does to us. Yes. We, we, we were having a meeting out at Apollonia and, and there was ladies still selling bread late in the afternoon. And I, I told Rachel, I said, I, maybe we ought to buy a loaf of bread for every family out there at Apollonia. So, man, we just bought bread. We just, these women all brought their bread and everybody came running. We kept buying bread, buying bread, buying bread. We got out there and we passed out that bread. I didn't know that some of those families, that's what they ate for their evening meal. God wanted me to understand something. People wept over a loaf of bread. No butter, no jelly, no meat, just a loaf of bread. And the family would sit down and break it up and they would eat that. And I learned something. I learned something about me and I learned something about God. And I learned something about how God deals with the body of Christ. I wish I had bread to feed them every day. But what we did is begin to bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as the superstitions and the, and the witchcraft broke off of that village, the blessings of the Lord began to make those people wealthy. God began to replenish their, their life. And they, they decided they were going to have a big piece of their ground plowed and, and they were going to plant a, a corporate garden and they were going to eat from it and sell the lepers. And they began to do that. You guys, success came out of what the Spirit and Presence of God did when He broke the darkness off. And that's what God does for me and you. He does those kinds of things in our life to get us ready for the sense of His success. So, what we're talking about here is chapter 2 of Haggai. And he said this, In the seventh month, in the 21st day of the month, in the one and 20th day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiah, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Now, they've been carried captivity 70 years. So you'd have to be, I figure, 77 to remember the house, or 75 maybe. If you're five years old when you're carried captive, you you remember the grandeur because the house was beautiful. But some of these people were in their 80s, so they remembered it well. They were old enough to recognize the, the beauty of the old tabernacle that was built on Mount Zion. And it was elaborate. In the days of uh, Solomon, you know, it was gilded with gold and silver, precious stones. He wasted uh, no uh, sense of cost on this building. They, they put anything in it. They put thousands of drams of, of gold and so and silver and brass. But you guys, what, what these people saw was a stone building. And in that stone building was a priesthood. And in the priesthood was a sense of flesh. And if the flesh was in subjection to God, then everything worked well in that temple. But if the priests were tempted by things of the flesh and began to want to do things on their own or succeed on their own or rule over the people because they felt politically powerful, it was interesting how that all began to change. And so they moved away from what God wanted and into a place where the priests became self-deified. Self-deified. They became the God of the temple. That's how they could kill real God. You understand that? They so usurped his position, they came to believe he didn't exist. 
Because when you play long enough that you're in control of everything and nothing stops you, you begin to believe there isn't a God. You understand that? You sin long enough and, and then you think, hey, there's no judgment. You just think sinning's okay. And God lets us travel along that road if it's what we want to do. Now, if you're a child of God and you've given your life to God, He will correct you. He won't let you travel that road without correction. He will talk to you. He will scold you. And He'll talk loud enough you'll know you heard His voice. Then He'll, he'll bring uh, consequences. Punishment. He'll punish you. And then the Bible says He will scourge you, which is a whipping you won't forget. Now, that's love. I'd rather have God spank me hard than have me left to my own thoughts that I'm doing okay and I've ran Him out and now I'm in, in opposition to God and then I stand before Him on the judgment day and now with all eternity before me and I can't get out of my judgment, I find out that I'm going to spend eternity lost in terrible torment. Not that way. I'm not wanting that. I'd much rather have God correct me seriously and turn me around. And that's the kind of God we serve. He does that. That's a real thing about Christianity. So you are inviting Him in to be that traveling companion with you. But you can see that ministries today have turned themselves into the king of the kingdom. Because the building is there, and the building is theirs. And the building gives them glory, because the bigger building you build, the more people respect you for the great building you built. I was in an elevator at Oral Roberts University, and, and some people got on, and they were the way they were talking was really crusty, and I thought, well, that's but it was a visitor area, and we were in the prayer tower. And we were going up to the prayer floor to the, where they had all these rooms where people prayed. And, and this really crusty guy and, and his use of words and all the things that he was doing made me really uncomfortable even being in the elevator with him. And he said, I would give, I'd give money big to this man. Because he said, look what he's done with it. Look at how beautiful these buildings are. Look at, look at this manicured campus. See, when you put money in the hands of a man, and then the door opens up and I stumble out into the thing. I would give an offering to a man because he, he builds great buildings in my eyes can see them. Interesting, isn't it? He wasn't regenerated, but he just was willing to give to, a, to something that looked like it was successful. Yes? So, that's what the Spirit presence of God has to do for you. It has what He's got to do for me. is to bring us to a place that we recognize I may not see with my eyes great success. So you can't tell whether a Christian person around you is really succeeding at the thing that God wants them to do because they may be a prayer warrior and at 2 o'clock in the morning they're praying while you're asleep. And you never see them and you do any great works for the Lord. It's just that they are constantly in prayer and intercession and they're in the Word. And if somebody needs a word, they're on the phone and they talk to them and they have answers for them. And it makes a difference in their life because we're the temple where God dwells. If you are the place where God dwells, how, how safe should your life be? It should be super safe. How should you feel in the middle of some sort of dangerous place? You should feel secure because God dwells in you. So you understand God has a way to get us through these things that are going on in our life and in ordinary stuff. And there's, there's, there's some scary stuff that life brings our way. So this chapter starts out with the very day that the Feast of Tabernacles ends. This chapter starts out with the 21st day of the seventh month. It's the last Jewish feast, the tabernacle, building the tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacles, yes? 
building the tabernacle was prophesied by God, and he gave seven Jewish feasts that foretold the things that God would do and how he would do them in what order. So people have all kinds of estimations of what's going to go on in the last days, but all they have to do is take those seven Jewish feasts and reread them. Because each of those feasts had something very important about what God was going to do on the earth. So the first Jewish feast was Passover, yes? Passover. They're in Egypt, and God comes and tells Moses, there's going to be a death angel come through the land tonight. I want you guys to take that lamb, because he told them to separate a lamb on the 10th day, and on the 14th day I want you to kill it. And I want you to take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost of your house, because every house that has blood on it, the death angel will pass over. That's why it's called Passover. So interestingly enough, the Jewish feasts start with unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which means don't add anything to my Bible because Jesus is the bread of life, yeah? He's the bread of life. And the Word became flesh. and So he said, don't add anything to my Word. That's because men have all kinds of things they add to the Word. That's how you domesticate the church. You domesticate the church by teaching what you want to teach them because you never teach them to fly. Because I can't teach you to fly. Do you know that? But I can teach you to pray and you will fly. I can teach you to pray and you will fly. So, I can be jealous that you fly. Because you flew around and I thought, Ugh. Everybody's looking at him. Look at that. i got to stop them from flying. Everybody's going to think they're the flyers. Yeah, that's how you domesticate the church. Take away your ability to think you can fly. God's given us a promise. The Bible said that the church was given the wings in the book of Revelations of two, of two wings of a great eagle that she might fly to her place because persecution was coming against her. And God gave her wings to fly out of the persecution. You can walk through it if you want. Personally, I want to fly over it. That's what the Spirit and Presence of God wants me and you to do. So I was, I, Rachel and I was flying Deborah out to Colorado with us and Rachel had to go out and get her LASIK stuff checked. After she had LASIK surgery when we were come back from Africa, I was flying in a 182 Cessna, and as I was in in uh, Western Kansas, the the chat all stopped from general aviation, and I thought that's interesting because if if general aviation is quit chatting, it means that the private pilots aren't flying, and if they're not flying, it means something's going on on the ground. Wind is blowing seriously, and I'm up uh, you know 10,000 feet. So I don't really know what's going on on the ground. But I can tell the chatter's all stopped. And when I got into western Colorado, eastern Colorado, I could see these dust devils growing up on the ground. And, and wind was blowing dust and dirt was blowing everywhere. And what I did is flew higher. Because the ground is coming up. At Denver, I know the elevation is 5,000 feet on the ground in Denver. So I went from 10,000 feet, which is only 5,000 feet off the ground, up to 12,000 feet to give myself more margin away from that wind down below. Yeah. doesn't mean that there's not going to be wind up above, but it just wasn't doing what the wind down below was doing. So I understand what it's like to make a decision that isn't about landing. You think, wow, I need to land this airplane. Look at all the stuff that's going on. Things are really changing around me. I don't want to be trying to land in a storm at Greeley. But you guys, I understood that getting up was the thing to get around. And that's what God told the church. He said, I'm going to give you two wings of a great eagle that you might fly 
into the wilderness because I have a place prepared for you there. Place prepared for the church in the wilderness. She just needs to fly to get there. Now, flying means that you're operating in the spirit realm instead of physical realm. Yes, because God talked about himself as being a great eagle. And so you and I understand that we walk. That's our mode of transportation. That's how you and I get around. That's easy. You run out of gas, you still walk. But you understand that he says, I've got a place prepared for the church, and the church is going to have to fly there. And I've given you wings. You're not without resource. You've got the resources, but you're going to have to be able to spend that time where the spirit of my presence tells you what to do. So here in Haggai, he's telling us something in the spirit realm because he just quotes us that it's the seventh month and the 21st day of the month. You and I would have to go back over to, to Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy to see what this feast is or what, what is this date. Because what difference does it make to you and I that it's the seventh month? I was born on the seventh month of our calendar, which is July, on the third day. But you can see that this means something because God's talking about the tabernacle. And Haggai, that's his whole burden, his whole message is we're going to build this tabernacle. And you guys, as we talked last week, They'd come with Zerubbabel to the, to back after the exile. They'd been carried away to Babylon and they came back and they wanted to rebuild Jerusalem. And ultimately they wanted to rebuild the temple. Now they come back and 16 years has elapsed to this point. 16 years. That's a long time. Some of you started coming here 16 years ago. But 16 years has elapsed and what happens is Haggai shows up. Zerubbabel is there. Joshua is there. And now what we need is a prophet to prophesy. We've got a governor and we've got a high priest. We've got a priesthood and we've got a a government. But we need a word from God. We need a prophet to come and tell us. Because when he showed up, the very first thing he did was preach the message and they began to build. Then opposition arose and they stopped the work. Now... Chapter 2 begins because he comes back and preaches another message to them. This is what he said. Speak now to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the residue of the people. Verse 3. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Covered with gold. Even after rebuilt by Josiah, it was still a beautiful building. Now it's rubble. And they're rebuilding it with material that is stuff that was left. And how do you see it now? Is it now not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? When you try to compare this with what that was, you think, wow, this is nothing. I'm ashamed. We've built this. And this is what we've got. And that's because Jesus was the temple. And when you compared him to the beautiful temple that had been built by Herod, which was a magnificent temple. You guys, you couldn't compare him in a body, a lone man. This is the beauty of the temple. There's nothing beautiful about that. In fact, the Bible said there was no beauty in him, that we should desire him. So we look at this flesh, we think, wow, he says he's the temple. And... We know that, that we own this temple on the Temple Mount. And this is the mountain that Abraham offered Isaac on. This is the mountain that, that God stopped the, the punishment in the days of David when he numbered the people. This is that mountain. This is Moriah. 
this mountain matters in history because God keeps doing things here that stops what's going on. Even judgment. Because God was going to stop judgment on Mount Moriah. At Calvary. Yes? Yes. So you can see how this isn't an easy story to tell just from what's going on in Haggai because we've got to go back to what God's done down through the ages. And we have to understand how God's building in me and you because we are this temple now. So what I want is to have the Spirit of God which supplies these parts. We have government. You and I have government. So who's the big man? Who's the boss? No, all, let's all say it in unison. You don't know. That's <laughs> easy. <Yeah, geez. laughs> Hey, God is. He's the government. We're under a king. Yes, so we've got a government. Now, if men make themselves government, we can submit to that because we think, okay, well, they're, you know, they're acting for God. No, that isn't the way God did this. God's government. And he intended to have a relationship with you personally. Now, what you need is parents. Parents. Yes, parents. And parents are like prophets. Parents are like prophets. Because in the old days, in the beginning, the prophets were called seers. Yeah. And that's what children wish we weren't. Seers. Those people that see stuff and talk about it. It's like, wow. So, yeah, so, that's what parenting is all about. Parenting is about watching and knowing what's going on. Because... These prophets came with a word from God. So should parents. <coughs> yes. Parents should have a word from God. You should have a word from God. So the Spirit and presence of God is showing us these things. So we have a government. The governor is rebel. And he's in the lineage of the kings, the lineage of David's lineage. But, you guys, what we want is to have this pattern fulfilled in us that God brings government to the church. And that is through Christ Jesus. He said the head of the woman, which is the church, because she's the bride, yeah? The head of the woman is the man. And I could strut up here on the platform all afternoon, but that doesn't mean I'm the man. It has to be a ministry that's ordained by God. But here's what he said next. He said, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of the man is Christ. So I don't have my own head. If I'm bringing what I want to do here, I can take you the wrong direction quickly. If Christ is my head, then it means he's the brains of the operation, yes? The head's where the brain is. So if he's the brains of the operation, because I stay in submission to him, then the church operates under the real government of God, and we can, we can, get God's message about building the temple, which is edifying the body, edifying one another, glorifying Christ, exalting him, reminding each other that God talks to us. He really does talk to us. And so that's what we want. So here's what he said is that the Feast of Tabernacles was the last Jewish feast. And that's why I tell you we need a Bible study about this, because in all honesty, this is a story that's too big to tell just on Sunday mornings. He said this. Yet now, verse 4, Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Joshadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord host. See how Haggai's talking? He's not talking about, come on, you guys, let's do it. He said, thus saith the Lord. God told me to tell you something. This is what I'm telling you. 
When the word is from God, it lasts forever. You can stand on it forever. If the whole world disappears, you can stand on God's spoken word. Listen. Saith the Lord of hosts, verse 5, According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once, it's a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I'm going to shake everything. I'm going to do that. Hey guys, we understand that Jesus shook the whole world. Because what he did was he changed from everything that was less than his government to his government. Because when he died on the cross, he paid the debt so that God and you could have a relationship. And once God could have that kind of relationship with you, he could come in contact with you. Before that sin kept him out of contact with you. That's why the temple had a holiest of holies. And only the high priest went in the holiest of holies. That's because you couldn't approach God. Adam and God walked and talked in the cool of the evening. And for a long time, they still walked and talked. Even, even his son, Cain, who killed his brother, he talked with God. So these men of God walked and talked with God. But once that voice drew away, then people needed to have an encounter with God. And in the days of Moses, you understand that God had to bring a man to get him out of Egypt. He defined them by Egypt's bondage. They were the Hebrews. Then he sent a man out that was the leader and he brought him out of Egypt and they were reluctant to go and then they hated him and then they didn't want to go with him. Yes? So that's how God does leaders. He doesn't pick somebody that will make you super happy. He just picks somebody. And you may not be super happy. That's the way God works. And that's because you didn't get to pick your parents. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Indeed. But the great thing about picking your parents is, there are some times in my life I would have picked somebody else for parents. And so would you. Don't pretend. Do not pretend. So the great thing about parenting is, there are some times that your parent has to stop something in your life that you are reluctant to stop or don't know to stop or you're too immature to stop. And so they step in with that maturity and they break off these forces that would, that would try to tear you up or, or do something damage to you, yes? Yeah. So they're there to protect you. But the things that they have to say, you may not want them to know the things you're actually going through. See how that turns out? So you hide things that, that you should be talking. That's why we need the voice of God. God knows how to open up your understanding. When you're dealing with your children, God will open your understanding about your children. If you'll listen, if you'll pay attention. And that's what I'm after. I'm after that. And I'm after it in the church. So this is what he says. Look. God said, I'm going to go back to the word that I gave you when you came out of Egypt. You know, what he gave them when they came out of Egypt was the Ten Commandments in the Ark. Yes? A covenant relationship. And they still have that. Do you know that? These people in exile still have the Ark and the stones. Go figure. Now listen. My spirit, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it's a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Everything got shook up. They had war in heaven. Satan and his angels warred against God. Heaven got shook. Yes. And the devil was thrown out. The earth got shook because God took control again of the whole earth 
through his second son, Adam. Yes? Jesus. Yes. So God changed the dynamics of what's going on in the world. The world wasn't going to be able to trend its own way to disaster. God was now able to bypass the weak link because the religion he had in that covenant depended on people to watch the gas gauge and interpret what they saw and make plans appropriate for their life so that they were successful knowing what it was that they were getting. And those people weren't doing that in the Old Testament covenant. So Jesus came so that he could indwell us because he's the little voice that goes, did you look at the gas gauge lately? That's what God does best. Go check the oven. It's like, ah, my cookies. God knows how to deal with us on these issues. The indwelling God is way better. That's why he said the glory of the latter house is better than the former house. The glory of the latter house is way better than the former because the one priest you and I could trust is Jesus. And he's the high priest. And he indwells you. How can you fail if the God of the universe actually knocks at your heart's door and says, let me come in. That's Christianity. Well, that's the temple better. Oh, that stone thing was nice. But you know what? Big buildings are great. I've been in some really big buildings all by myself. And I can tell you it's much better to have your family. It's much better to have voices. It's much better to have supper on the stove. It is. And what God's bringing us to is that there's an important thing about life, and it is the sense of belonging. So not only do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that has that, that deep, emoting relationship, but the lights are on. In the midst of terrible storms, the lights are on. There's a place in God's presence that keeps you and sustains you. And there's a voice when you feel afraid. There's a voice. And the voice has something to say to you that calms you down. That's just exactly what he said here. Don't be afraid. God tells these people, don't be afraid. Listen, when you have that voice for you, that's what he's going to tell you. You're going to be in a place that you think this thing ain't working out right. Look at this temple. We're wasting our time. We did this. I am so discouraged. I can't believe it looks like this. And then God comes and says, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I've made a covenant with you. I'm going to keep my spirit with you. You guys, that voice is the imperative of this new temple. You and I are not dependent on a preacher that comes in and has some fiery sermon. We, we have a relationship with God who knows how to bring us to that place that we've learned from the instructions of the Bible how we can succeed. I can succeed. In fact, I can learn to fly. I can outrun. I can outdistance the enemy. There's sometimes it's better to run than stay. So walk to this day. So the Spirit of God is leading these things. This is what He said. I'm going to shake everything. And God, Jesus shook everything. He even shook Israel to the core because everything changed. He became the new temple. And the old temple became just an empty Walmart on the side of some side street. When Walmart moved out of that big building on, on uh, Iowa Street, when I first came there, that was the end of the street. They had that big, beautiful Walmart that was really little. And they decided they were going to build them a big Walmart out further south. Right? And they left that building and it sat empty a long time. Because what do you do with a building that big? Like, anybody here want to rent this building? It's like, I don't know. What would we do with a building that big? Sell everything Walmart sells. That don't sound profitable. There's already a Walmart. 
Took him a long time. And then they divided it all up, divvied it up, and put other stuff in it. You guys, that's what this temple was. It was property that God no longer inhabited. And you know what happened to the priests? They pretended that God was still there. That's how far away from God they were. That's how deified they were. You don't need God. You got me. That's what they told the people. Come on. They knew that veil was torn in too. They knew that there was no atonement from that day on. The blood that people brought for the sacrifices of their sins went nowhere. Is, is the, has He shook the heavens? Has He shook the earth? Has He done that? Yes, He's done that. He said, yes, a little while. Now look what He says. Yet once, I'm, I'm at verse 6 again, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations. You see, all nations got shook at what he did at Calvary. Because now salvation can go everywhere. If you've got a temple to the goddess Diana in Corinth, watch out. Somebody's coming. You got you got idol worship in your in your country. You make a ton of money off of your people that, that sell these shrines and these little false gods. Somebody's coming. All the nations. I'm coming and I'm going to come and I'm going to make disciples out of all nations. So what Satan owned was all the nations. Am I right? And Jesus set us free. He set the world free so that you could come and serve Him. So you guys, we saw the shaking take place. Listen and. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. The desire of all nations shall come? That's what? Kill Trump? <laughs> what would you think would be the desire of all nations? Get rich? Get rid of the Jews? Uh, have the biggest fishing fleet? Have free food? What do you think the desire of the ages is? Salvation. A relationship with the God of Israel. The whole world wanted it. As long as they were living the way God was blessing them, they all wanted it. And you know what? They, God defined His greatness in less than 42 years. And the world couldn't forget what He did. In less than 42 years. You guys, 42 years ago. What, what year was it? 42 years ago. See? 40 years. So in 42 years, he went from unknown to the God that everybody in the world knew because he tore Egypt up. That was his starting point. And Egypt didn't do it to itself. This wasn't a psychodynamic thing. This wasn't that some preacher came in there and seduced them and got them to believe that they were going to have hailstones 70 pounds and that fire was going to fall out of heaven and run along the ground burn everything up. This wasn't about, well, we were hypnotized and we thought this went on. That is not what went on. And the whole world saw it. And mighty Egypt came crumbling down. Then he took those people out into a wilderness that didn't have water and didn't have food. And for 40 years he walked them around in that wilderness and the whole world watched them walk. How do you walk 40 years with no water? How do you live 40 years with no bread? How do you live 40 years in the same shoes? How do you do that? In less than 42 years, God told the whole world so that when they got into Jericho, Rahab the harlot, a woman... She wasn't politically situated. Women were not politically situated in those days. She wasn't on the town council. She wasn't on the inside. She didn't know a whole bunch of important things, but this is what she knew. Those people, 
that were outside of the gate belong to a God that she wishes she belonged to. And we began to see what the desire of ages was. Is that if I could be one of them, if I could be one of them, where their God watches over them, takes care of them like God takes care of them, if I could have a God like that, if only I had that in my life. That is what I want. And when those spies came up there, she said, we knew you were coming. Boy, do we know you were coming. For 40 years we've been shaking in our boots because we heard what your God did. Your God, the saddest thing you will ever, ever hear somebody say is your God. Your God. Because that means it's not their God. The last thing you ever want somebody to say to you is, go pray to your God. Those prophets were in Israel and the people of Israel said, go pray to your God. It's your God. Listen to me, it's your God. It is your God. And that's what these prophets stood for. And that's what Rahab the harlot understood is what I would give, what I would give anything to be one of them. Where their God tore Egypt up to deliver His people out. How do you love people that much? And then He brought them out in the wilderness and every single day. Listen, do you know what? How many days do you think those people went hungry in 40 years? In, in, in those lands around them? See the difference? Those people in the wilderness, how many days? None. Lands around them? Many. And they feared drought. They feared famine. They feared pestilence. They feared locusts. They didn't have any way to guarantee they were going to eat. They didn't have a pantry full of stuff. And they didn't have a way to can stuff. You just ate it fresh. When you run out of the fresh, you eat the dried. And when you run out of the dried, you're in trouble. And their God fed them every day, morning and night. They never knew a morning without a meal. They never knew a night without a meal. And they knew it was coming. Listen, that's better than Social Security. That's better than food stamps. That's better than a mom that can cook like every restaurant in town that you want to eat at. Yes, yes, yes. So you realize this is what God's talking about. So those people said, look, I wish I had a God that fed me every single day in the morning and at night. And then when the desire of ages came, he told his disciples when he was preaching before he died, don't go to any place but here. We're running against time, you guys. He said, I have to tell every man, woman, and child there's a door getting ready to shut. And I want you to go to every village and hamlet. I want you to go to every city in this land. And you tell them the door is about to shut. And you've got to accept Christ, this Jesus from Nazareth. He is God. And you have to accept it and go, I don't get how that would be. I'm telling you, He's it. He's it. And you're going to have to accept Him as your Savior and your God and your King. And you're going to have to do it. He said, you go to everybody. And you tell them the door is about to shut. He said, don't, you don't have time to go anyplace else. You don't have time. Listen, you and I have a message. The door is about to shut. Jesus says it was in the days of Noah. What do you and I know about Noah? See how that gauge works? As it was in the days of Noah. What happened in the days of Noah? He built an ark. And the invitation stayed open until the day that it began to rain. And the day that first drop of rain fell on the ground, God Himself shut that door. When God shut the door, all the pounding on the door won't get you in. All the wishing you were on board won't get you on board. What you've got to do is make up your mind, I'm getting in. But you know what? You need to have somebody give the message. And that's what Noah gave. But Jesus says it was in the days of Noah. 
They ate. They drank. They, they just kept going. It was an ordinary day. When you eat and drink, it's an ordinary day. Ordinary day. They were marrying and they were giving in marriage and they were having parties after parties. And then the rain came and God shut the door. The party was over. That's what he was telling us. As it was in the days of Noah. The Christian church don't believe that. They tell you a story that's different than that. They tell you a completely different story. But you see, we have to have a foundation on truth. And that's what these guys did. They laid a foundation under the temple. Wow. We know about the foundation. Who's the foundation? Christ. First Corinthians chapter 3, right? No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid. Okay? So you have to have a lay of foundation. And Jesus said, I'm the truth. The church has to go back to this expectation and want nothing but the truth. And if you go to Christ, you're going to get what? Nothing but the truth. But you have to believe that He'll talk to you. You have to believe that He'll send you a parent that will help get you through this stuff. My job is to get you to the place you hear and know His voice. He's going to court you and win your heart. Listen to me. He's going to court you and win your heart. There's a lot of Christians that think they don't love Jesus enough. You know why? You haven't grown up enough to have your heart fully courted yet. Nobody courts you when... I mean, you love your parents, yes? And that's a great thing. But you don't know when you're little that you're going to grow up and, and want to leave your parents. When you're little, you think, yes, forever. <laughs> forever. Then forever gets pretty short. It's like, wow. And everybody's ready for you to move. Am I right? Your parents don't want you to move. <clears throat> looking for... Look, did you see this apartment for rent? No, I didn't. Who would want it? We know how that goes. But in the church, we have to have that same sense of motion. Because if I'm telling you we're staying here until we get the next building paid off, then you get the wrong in, in idea. What I want is to have you courted by Jesus, but I just have to keep you growing in Him until you know His voice. That's how simple it is. Yeah? Oh, yeah. And when you know the voice, then what happens is you're going to leave me and go and deal with Him. No, that's what you're going to do, Yeah? You don't have to be as exuberant as John. <laughs> but it is what you're going to do, yeah? And I'm going to, I'm, it's going to break my inky-beaky heart, but that's, that's part of what the transition is, isn't it? It's about growing up and finally coming to that place. There are some parents that are reluctant to let go. And it makes it traumatic. It makes it terribly traumatic. And then there are parents that are <clears throat> so glad to have you go. That's traumatic. You need a little balance. <laughs> At least cry at the door. So that's what the Spirit of God is doing for you and me. So this, this, this book of Haggai is a super book because it talks about that foundation. That's what you and I Let's stand together because otherwise you're going to be here Christmas Day. Thank you, Jesus. Great and mighty God. What a, what a loving Father. But He is getting us along these lines. Four time, three times the work stops in the book of Haggai. Three times the work stops and Haggai comes back and he's not, he's not a great orator. He doesn't come thundering through the town. He's not, he's not like Jonah. But he does bring a message and the interesting thing is his message always restarts the work. 
Every single time he comes and preaches this little humble message, it, it restarts the work. I was reading Eric Liddell, the, the runner. What, how do you really pronounce his name? Yeah, Eric Liddell. So, you're leaving. You're leaving. But his, his favorite sermons were perfection. And he would use the word perfect. And you know that the scholars teach you that the word perfect means sincere. So he said, wow, that's interesting. So he went back to the, to the Latin. And it says sin, which in, in, in the romantic languages is without. Sin and seer. So seer meant wax. So he said, oh, wow, that's interesting. That we should be without wax. Because in Rome, the sculptors learned that if they made an error in a sculptor, in a sculpture, they could cover the knit with wax. And they could pass off an imperfect work for a perfect work. And little said, listen, we've got a whole lot of people that are Christians with the wax on. Let's get the wax on. God knows how to make a perfect, a perfect sculpture. You and I. The reason I'm not a sculptor, I, I, I've looked at sculptures. You have. And you guys, there are fingernails and little, little indentions where the fingers bend. And I'm thinking, wow, you took a piece of stone, you cut off all the stuff, you have eyelids. And you have lips and you have nostrils. And you have those little ringy things that make an ear look like an ear, and you together to make a hole. And then you're doing the pinky finger, and I'll, I'll be her chunk. I hit it too hard, and it fell off. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. The last thing I was going to do. This thing is magnificent. That's why I wouldn't want to be a sculptor. You know why? I, I couldn't get down to that place. It goes, yeah, hit it with hammer. It's like... Fingernails. How many of you have seen the, the fingernails in these statues? Like, what were you doing with your life? <laughs> but you could put fingernails in stone. Like, and this time I can go, you guys, I can't do that because I'm just not going to do that. My fingers are all going to be like little nubby things. <laughs> Take that or leave it. Eyes, I'll do that. Nostrils, who can't shoot a hole up in stone? Fuck! But I'm not going to do those little delicate things that's going to ruin the work at the last of the thing. Yes, that's why you need the Spirit of God. In Galatians, he said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Hmm? He said, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You guys, the difference between a sculptor that moves in the Spirit and one that moves in the flesh is somebody who has it inside them to pound that never worries about the last of the deals. The people who are doing it only because they're going to try and do it the way it looks like it had to be done, those people are moving in the flesh. you get the difference? When you're moving in the flesh, you're going to tear a finger off. Sorry, but you are. Go back to the Spirit. If you're concerned about the, the things that are going on in your life, don't, don't try to make it in the flesh. Don't make up your mind you're going to do these things in the flesh. Let the Spirit of God do it. How many of you got wings? All of you. How many of you know how to fly? All of you do. Yeah. So that's the great thing about God, is that there is this place where you and I have an invitation by God to actually experience the victory 
that gets us away from earthbound. We're not a domesticated church. We are not a domesticated church. I want you to fly. I want you to fly. And I want you to experience that flight. But I want you to do it in Christ Jesus. Yes? Father, we thank you for all that you do. And for all that you are. God, you've made a difference in our lives. And Jesus, these few chapters here, these, these two chapters are such a blessing. As have been all the prophets. God, the day you spoke to me to, to begin to minister from these prophets, I had no idea I'd read them. I loved them. I had no idea that I adored them. But God, you've opened to me a, a place of fellowship so precious and so divine. God, let nobody leave this place without your healing. You said to them who fear my name, will the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. God, anybody in this place that needs a healing, you're the healer. If, if fear cripples anybody, you're the healer. God, if emotions rule anybody, you're the healer. You came to heal the broken heart. God, the mind, the, the very center of us is what you're talking about. You came to heal our, our mind, our ability to think and receive and, and all the thoughts that get jumbled up inside of us that take our peace away. God, you're the, the great I am. You're the healing God. And Jesus, I just praise you for that peace that passes understanding. Because God, how could we get to from where we're at to where you are without that precious outpouring of your spirit? God, I thank you for, for what you are doing in that healing process, God, in all of us. God, how you've made us to be triumphant in Christ Jesus. And God, I praise you for the prayers. You just, uh, this morning, Rachel was telling me about her, her, her newest prayer. And God, I, I agreed with her in prayer. And Jesus, I, I claim that because, Lord, you are that God. You're, you're the God who does these things. You ministered us in a way that nothing else could minister to us. God, touch the fellowship in every heart. God, bless the, the Christmas holiday tomorrow in everybody's home. God, that your blessings would be upon everything. God, it's not about much. It's about love and, and having times of memory. God, some of my best memories, Lord, were when I lived on Fillmore Street in that little house. God, you're the great and mighty God. And Jesus, I thank you for all that you are and all that you do. And I pray, God, that you would see us through these hours and years, God, victoriously as your temple. God, make us a single unit. Make us into a single unit. Indivisible. Indivisible. Lord, with justice and liberty for every person that encounters your church. God, we pray it in your name. Bless your church all over the world. Bless your people all over the world. God, we praise you for the wings to fly and the fact you've set us free in our mind. God, don't ever let us become domesticated by man. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Lord, bless you. Go in peace.